Hey, this is Ed Luther, pastor of City Church in Australia. I hope that today's podcast really inspires you. Thank you so much for listening. It's my privilege this morning, and it is such a privilege to introduce a real friend uh, of my, of Gail and myself, and, and that is uh, Lucas and Jackie Connell. They've been in America for about four years, I think it's been, uh, and, and they've just been setting uh, America on fire. I mean that. Everywhere they go, uh, they just have revival breaking out. They specialize, their ministry specializes in helping people that are depressed break through and people that have addictions and, and that kind of a thing. And, and also really, really uh, uh, evangelism as Lucas just carries something like that. They have two amazing boys and uh, they're amazing people. They used to have a house. I don't know if they still do on the sunny coast. So they're, they're homegrown people. And uh, I just want to give it up for Lucas Connell as he comes to share with us the word this morning. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Love you, man. Thank you. Excellent. Thanks so much. Can we give Jesus one more big shout of praise? Come on, he's so good. You know, you can real feel that there's a faith in the house today. And, you know, I just feel like we're the right place with the right people. And uh, God's going to speak to us today in a powerful way. And, uh, Father, we just thank you so much for just this incredible church. And, God, for the, the wonderful people. And, God, we thank you that for this house, God, that the best is yet to come, God. I thank you that you've still got incredible things in the future. God, that many, many more people are going to come to know you and find you. And your people are going to be be blessed and prosper. And God, we just thank you so much for your goodness in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Why don't you grab your seats? Thanks so much, guys. You know, I want to honor uh, Pastors Ed and Pastor Gail. But uh, they've been such good friends for a long time. And, and you know, there's so many incredible things about them. They're just, you know, such just wonderful people. They're generous. They're kind. Uh, they're great leaders, incredible ministers and preachers. But I just think whenever men or women of God uh, have longevity, that they've stood the test of time, you know, because whenever you're a, a senior leader, there's always trials and tribulations and things that when you sign up for it, that's what you sign up for. And I think any ministers, senior ministers that have just kept going the test of time, I just think that's such an honorable characteristic. Can we give them a massive round of applause? So good. Love you guys so much. <clears throat> And, uh, you know, I think your series has been in faith. That's what you said. Yeah. And, and so Pastor Ed kind of asked me to speak a little bit about uh, just generosity. And, and I want to just tell you right now, just to open your heart. And, you know, this is what I'm going to speak about is actually something that has changed uh, mine and Jackie's lives. We have been, we, I have seen there's probably not a revelation that, that I have lived, that I have seen more blessing and favor and doors opened in my life uh, than this particular thing. So what I'm going to speak about, this is not just for me kind of like, oh, well, it's a good thing that I should speak about, but this is something we've lived and we carry and we've seen the benefit of it just like I could never even properly uh, explain. Uh, for those that haven't heard my story, I grew up in Melbourne. Uh, don't hold that against me. Uh, <coughs> but I don't have corona, I promise. Uh, but uh, I grew up in Melbourne and my parents did a whole heap of drugs. Uh, you know, my mom, my dad, aunties, uncles, even grandparents. You know you're in trouble when granddad smokes bongs, okay? That's just a bad start to life. Uh, 
But I followed in my dad's footsteps. Well, at 16, I took an acid trip at a house where they were involved in satanic worship, and, and I overdosed and basically encountered the devil. For about three hours, I was tormented. That left me with what psychologists would have diagnosed as drug-induced psychosis. So from 16 to 19, the television would speak to me. The radio would speak to me. I was suicidal. Uh, I almost took my life at 19. But one lady, the only believer in my whole family, was the one that stood in the gap and prayed for 17 years that I'd one day encounter the love of Jesus. And I, I want to encourage someone, you might be the only person that is appearing before heaven on behalf of someone. And no matter how far they look go gone, let me tell you, one touch from heaven can bring them back. And, and I'm just so thankful for an auntie's prayers. You know, I genuinely believe that if it weren't for her prayers, I would have just been another statistic that would have overdosed on drugs that no one would have ever heard about. And, and so I ra radically got saved and set free of all my drug addictions at the age of 23, had a powerful encounter with Jesus uh, on the Gold Coast. And, and, and it kind of brings me to what I want to first talk about. I remember when I lived on the Gold Coast, because I left Melbourne, because I was so heavily involved in drugs and owed drug dealers money all over Melbourne. And, and, and so I thought, you know, I should move to surface paradise, you know, to try and get off drugs. And so I, mean, I wasn't the smartest young man, you know, like I'd killed a few brain cells. And, and so I moved to surface paradise for a fresh start. And you could imagine that didn't last very long. And so I was partying and doing drugs. And, and I lived in, uh, if you know the Gold Coast, in, in a street called Wharf Road, just off the Gold Coast highway near the old, if you know it, Surf City building that's still there today. It's not Surf City anymore, but it has the big sign on the Gold Coast Highway that says, Our Message Jesus. And, and so I remember there's a service station across the road, and, and most days I would be at home getting stoned, and I'd drag myself across the road with bloodshot eyes to get some kind of real dirty kind of chicken roll and a big M or something like that, and had the munchies. And, and so, and, and I kind of walk into the service station, and I'd always see the big sign, Our Message Jesus, right? And I'd always think about it, and you know, you could not see it. And, and I'd probably walk to that servo maybe for 12 months, you know, probably every second day, and I'd see the Our Message Jesus. And eventually my auntie's prayers were answered, and, and, and I had this encounter in Wharf Road in my little unit, and, and encounter with Jesus. And, and I said to God, okay, God, I, I can't commit to being a Christian. Because I just it'd just be another one of my lies, you know. Because when you're a drug addict, you just keep lying to yourself. I'm gonna change everything and never do it. And so I got real with God. I said, God, I I can't commit to being a, a good Christian, but I know you've done something. And what I could do is tomorrow, I could go to church tomorrow. And and right then, I didn't know the difference between an Anglican church or a Baptist church or a Catholic church. Or I just thought church was church. So my natural thing was, well. Our message, Jesus. I guess that's where you go. And, and so the next Sunday, I walked across and I walked into that building. And it was in that very building that I gave my life to Jesus. It was that group of people that helped me to have a God encounter two weeks later that delivered me from a 10-year drug addiction, uh, helped me get free of cigarettes. And it was those people in that building that taught me new Christians and, and, and discipled me and loved on me and became dads and mums and aunties and uncles and brothers. And, and it was in that building that I met my beautiful wife and, and we're celebrating this weekend 19 years of marriage. And 
And we had our children not in the building. And so uh, just in case you're wondering, okay, there was nothing to do with the children that happened in the, just in case you're wondering. And so, and I think about that building and as we go into generosity, what I want to talk about is the unsung heroes of my story were the people that were part of the church before they even knew who I was, but they sacrificially gave that they took off their income and their treasure and they were so in love with Jesus that they said, no, we're going to keep sowing and sowing and sowing until a collective group of people could rally together and they bought a building and put up a sign that said, our message, Jesus. And if it wasn't for their sacrifice and they didn't even know me, there wouldn't have been a building for me to walk into. And so often it's the unsung heroes. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but we, we all know the story of David who kills Goliath and they sung songs about him. And David became this amazing person and, and, and you know, became the king and took down Goliath. But I don't know if you remember this part of the story because there's an unsung hero in the story. And it's actually a man called Jesse who was his father. And Jesse, probably in a time, would have been a hard financial economic time because there was a war going on. But Jesse could have just said to David, hey, go down to the battle and get a report about your brothers. But because Jesse was this type of man that was generous, he wouldn't let David go empty-handed. He took the best that he had from his produce. He took cheese and he took bread and he loaded David up and, and said, don't go down there empty-handed. I want you to bless the generals and bless the men that are fighting. And I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but it was actually Jesse's generosity that positioned David to take down Goliath. And really, David becomes this awesome person because someone behind the scenes said, I'm going to sow from what I've got to create a David that will take down a Goliath. And the amazing thing, if you think about that story, it actually all returns back on Jesse because David blessed Saul. Uh, the whole of David's family never had to pay tax. But just the man that said, I'm going to be generous to the kingdom of God, he positioned someone to take down a giant. And then the blessing came back to him. I wonder if you've ever thought about the story of John the Baptist and Jesus said of John the Baptist that there was no one greater than him. And if you've studied the Bible, it's like, well, come on, Jesus, are you sure? I mean, John the Baptist, he didn't even do a miracle. I mean, let's just look at Elijah. I mean, Elijah did seven incredible miracles. One of them, he held a lifeless dead boy and brought him back to life. He called fire down from heaven and caused a national revival. The whole country got saved. And then Elisha, who did double the amount of miracles and even raised someone from the dead after he was dead. And Jesus says, no, of all of them, John, he's the greatest. But, and and I've, I've studied that and I've looked at it and I said, well, what was it about John? And, and I think simply what it was about John was it was the message that he brought. And the message was this, prepare the way for the king. Make the paths straight. It was the message that he carried. And when I think about sowing, every time I sow into the kingdom of God, I am communicating the exact same message as John the Baptist. I'm taking my finance and I'm saying, prepare the way for the king so that people can meet the king. Whatever obstacles are in the way, make the paths straight. And so 
You know, I, I want to just give you three things about sowing and reaping. And I want to show you why I call this not generosity, because it's sowing and reaping. And I'm going to speak into that in a little bit. And, you know, there's only one miracle in the, uh, we won't look at it, but there's only one miracle in the Gospels that is actually included in every single Gospel. And, and of course, except for the resurrection of Christ, but of the miracles that Christ did, there's only one, and it's the fish and the loaves. It's the only miracle that, that, was, that had to be in there all four times because it's this principle that stands forever of sowing and reaping that when you take the little that you have, and really it wasn't a little for them because it was all they had, but when you give extravagantly, when you sow to the kingdom, when you sow for others, there is this principle that God takes what you've given and he multiplies it to, to bring blessing to others and also blessing back to you. And I remember if I, just to tell you my journey, because when I first got saved, I kind of tithed right from the start. And, and, and it wasn't hard for me. Like one, I didn't earn very much money. So my tithe wasn't a lot. It was probably about 30 bucks, you know, a week. And, and, but, but God had just delivered me from cigarettes, right? I was smoking a pack a day. And then this guy says to me, oh, well, you should give God 10% and he'll protect you 90%. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. I'm like, because the God I've been serving for 10 years, I've been broke every Monday for 10 years. He takes 100% of my money and you're, now I get to keep 90%. This is incredible. And, and even just mathematical, I have a mathematical brain. At that point, my cigarette bill was greater than my tithe. So it was, it was like a no-brainer. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm now paying less and he took cigarettes away. So for me, tithing wasn't hard. And, and it was quite a while, I don't know how exactly how long, but a couple years where I just tithed because it was the right thing to do. But I'd never learnt this principle of sowing and reaping. And what I mean by that is when you sow, that you attach faith to believe to also reap. And I'll show you that in a moment. And even, even sometimes when we just say, well, the tithe belongs to God and you should do it. I, I believe 100% in tithing. But even tithing is a form of sowing and reaping. See, sometimes when we just put it in that, well, it's already you owe it to God and it's already His, then what happens is people don't attach faith and the blessing in tithing. Tithing is about giving the first tenth. It's a, it, it's a faith statement. It's basically saying, I'm choosing to live by faith, to give God this 10%. But in, we've got the scripture here in Malachi, uh, verse 3. It, it says, have we got, where would that come up? Um, here it is. Bring the whole tithe uh, into the storehouse, that there may be food in the house. And this is the only time God says, test me in it. When he speaks about this, this facet of giving, you know what test me and it means in today's language? I double dog dare you. That's basically what God was saying. It's the only time he ever says it. No other part of life would he say test me except in the area of giving. Next slide. And then he says, uh, see if I'll just jump down. See if I'll not throw open the windows of heaven and pour out so much blessing so much blessing that there won't be room enough for it. And then it goes on to say that the whole world will know you as blessed. 
See, even tithing, there is a sowing and reaping. That when you tithe, it's not just like, well, I owe it to God. And he, no, no, I'm going to bring my tithe, but I'm going to attach faith to it that there is a promise that he says he will open the floodgates of heaven and blessings going to pour out. That he's gonna, It goes on to say he'll protect me from the devourer and that the whole world will know that I'm blessed. Maybe some of you go, well, hang on a second, the tithing isn't that Old Testament, that's the law. Well, the first time, and in the Bible, there's this thing called the law of firsts. And you can study it, that whenever something is mentioned the first time, there is always truth and, and almost like a, a distinctive of what this thing really means the first time it's mentioned. The, the very first time it's mentioned is way before the law. It's with Abraham who represents faith, and it's Abraham finds Melchizedek, and I don't have time to go into that, but Melchizedek is a type of Christ. It seems he has no other family. We don't hear about him. He never was born. He never died. He's a picture of Christ. And so Abraham finds someone greater than him because it's like he met Christ in the Old Testament and he took a whole tenth of everything he owned and he gave it to a type of Christ. But then it says Melchizedek then blessed him. And you've got to understand this, okay? Melchizedek's name, he was the king of Salem, which means king of peace. His name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. So he was the king of righteousness and the king of peace. Abraham sowed a tenth, watch this. Up until that time in Abraham's life, he had fought in war after war after war after war. But when he sowed to peace, he never fought another war again. He sowed to peace and he reaped peace. He sowed to the king of righteousness and it's a few chapters later where God speaks to him and says, Abraham, I'm accrediting righteousness to you by faith. See, what you sow to is what you reap from. And Melchizedek is a type of Christ. And again, this is spoken about in Hebrews. A whole chapter is given toward Melchizedek that also speaks about the tithe. That when they gave the tithe to the Levites, which only came because it first happened with Melchizedek, they were giving to men that would eventually die. But when Abraham gave to Melchizedek, he was giving to someone that was living. Melchizedek is Christ. The body, the church, is a picture of Christ. And when when we bring our tithe, we're not giving to something that's dead, but we're giving to something that is alive, that blesses us back and what we sow to, we reap. You know, I remember, like I said, it was this moment where I had tithed just because it was the right thing to do and I was thankful and God had saved my life and it was the church that did it and why would I not honor that? And it was, it was an easy thing. And, and then I started to, someone helped me to see this revelation of sowing and reaping. And it was the first time in my life, it was many years ago, where I saw that God never speaks about giving with also, without also mentioning receiving. He never speaks about seed time without also mentioning harvest time. He never speaks about sowing with also mentioning reaping. And my first point, I forgot to say it because I've got three things in regards to sowing and reaping. This is God's way. They all start with W. This is His way. This is, sowing and reaping is his way. It's what he instituted to bring blessing to us. And I started to see that Genesis speaks about seed time and harvest time. Proverbs talks about, uh, you know, give and your barns will overflow. Uh, Malachi, we already read it. Luke says, give and it will be given unto you. Galatians says, a man reaps what he sows. And I started to see it everywhere. 
And then the one that tipped me over the edge, because it was like everywhere I'm like, I can't find him speaking about sowing without reaping, giving without receiving. And then the one that tipped me over the edge, and I think we're going to show it in Philippians. I think I'm jumping a scripture, but go to Philippians chapter 4, verse 14 to 16. You've got to understand, this is a thank you letter. Because the Philippians were the only church that supported Paul in his ministry financially. So he's writing a thank you letter. And he says, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in, watch this, the matter of giving, leave it there, and receiving except you only. Isn't that amazing? Because if, let's just say Pastor Ed, like, blessed me ridiculously, okay? I feel something on that, Pastor Ed. I'm just, I don't know, when I said it, I'm just, I'm, like, I didn't want to interrupt, but I just felt something, okay? No, I'm just messing with you, okay? All right. And, and, I, and I was going to write him a, a thank you letter, and, and, and I would write a letter saying, thank you so much for your giving. Thank you for your generosity. Paul is writing a thank you letter, but even in the letter he has to include, thank you that you got involved in the matter of giving and receiving, because that's God's way. And then if we jump down to verse 19, let me tell you one of the most out of context quoted Christian scriptures, it says, and my God shall supply all of your riches according to his riches in Christ Jesus. You know why it's out of context? Because that, I'm sorry, I don't want to offend anyone, but that verse is not for everyone. That verse is for the person that got involved in the matter of giving and receiving, sowing and reaping. They tapped into God's way, which is not just giving, it's giving, but then receiving. When you tap into sowing and reaping, you can stand on the promise that my God's going to supply all of my needs according to His riches. You know, I remember when I got this revelation, I got so excited. And then I read a scripture, I think the guys have got it in uh, 2 Corinthians. I think I gave you that one, I can't remember. But, but it goes on, because I got excited, but I was very young and we had no money. I was a youth pastor at the time and, and we were broke. And I got this revelation though. And, and now I'm like, well, I want to test it. I, I want to see if this works. I want to sow a seed. And then I prayed a stupid prayer. Have you ever prayed a stupid prayer? Like, it sounds really awesome and holy at the time, but then what if God answers it? And, and this was my stupid prayer. I said, God, I was like a young youth pastor and no money, we're newly married, uh, living like paycheck to paycheck. I'm like, God, I want, because then I found 2 Corinthians, right, that said he gives seed to the sower, right? And I'm like, all right. It doesn't say he gives seed to the Christian. He doesn't say he gives seed to the person that's loved God their whole life. It doesn't say he gives seed to the person that serves on the worship team. It says he gives seed to the sower. In other words, the person that says, hey, I'll be a channel of blessing, he'll keep putting seed in your hand. And so I found this and I prayed this stupid prayer. I said, God, I want you to give me a radical seed. I want you to give me something crazy that I could sow into the kingdom. Literally two days later, my dad has never given me money my whole life. Like, you know, except for like buy dinner and 50 bucks here, but never more than probably 100 bucks, right? My whole life. He rings up, he's not even a Christian, two days later. And he says, Lucas, I had some real good stuff happen. He's never had money. He's coming to some money. And he says, I'm so proud of you that you've become a Christian. You've changed your life. I want to give you $5,000. 
My wife and I, and you've got to remember back, we're like 24, 25. We don't own our house. We've got a, not a very nice car. We, we, I tell her, we're like dancing. Do you know what I mean? We're like, where are we going on holiday? Like we could go to Hawaii. We could go anywhere. Back then, we could even buy a house. That was enough for a deposit with the homeowner. You know what I mean? Like, and, and I'm like, this is amazing. And then remember, like, then God reminds me of my prayer. Give me a radical seed. And we swallowed hard. But I remember it was the first time with this new revelation that I'm not just going to sow, I'm going to sow and reap. So I'm adding faith to this seed. And I remember this. My wife and I held that seed in our hand. And, and, we, and we prayed this prayer. And, and, and I, since we just sold a house, we're going to buy a nice house on the Gold Coast. So I'm not against, I think we should own things and all that kind of stuff. But in this case, our, our, our prayer was, God, we want to sow this, and what we want is we want to do something so radical that no one else is doing. We want to live a radical life. It was three months later at a, at a Planet Shakers conference that God spoke to me and said, you and Jackie, quit your jobs and come and follow me. That entered us into a season of one year when we lived on $50 a week, and I don't have time to tell you the miracles. We were given about thirty-five dollars to $40,000 from about 100 or more different avenues where miracles would just come every single week. It was actually in that moment because, and, and then at the end of that, our youth group took an offering of about $30,000 with 90 young people because they caught what we, were, what we had. And it was actually that little season that then other churches and youth groups started hearing about what we were doing and they started inviting me to come and speak. The last nine years, I've spoken all around the world at some of the greatest churches, could tell you miracles of people that have been set free of everything you can imagine, but you can trace the whole thing back to a little seed that a young married couple said, you know what, we want to do something radical for you. And, and, and that whole thing became the thing that actually got me into the very thing that I'm doing today. You've got to understand it's God's way. The next thing you've got to understand is that it's God's weapon. See, sowing and reaping. Let me tell you this. The devil is okay with you giving and not receiving. Because the devil knows if, if someone keeps giving, why does every, most relationships that break up, they, they end up because there's one partner that's doing all the giving and one that's doing all the receiving. And, and any human, if, if we keep giving, 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 but never receiving, we will become disgruntled in our spirits. And so God has set this thing up not just to be giving, but, but see, the devil's okay with you just giving, 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 giving because he knows eventually you'll become bitter. But what the devil's petrified of is a believer getting this revelation that I'm not just giving, I'm tapping into giving and receiving. I'm going to give in faith, but I'm going to, it takes me faith to give, but it also takes faith to receive. I'm going to believe my business is going to another level. I'm believing for opportunities where I'm going to see favor come. And it's a weapon that we have. See, I hope I don't offend anyone if this has been said, and you'll understand what I'm saying. I personally don't like this statement when preachers say we don't give to get. Now, I understand why we say it, because we're talking about the motives of the heart. But I just feel like it does more damage than it does good. 
Because when we say don't give to get, what we also do is we actually kill the faith on someone's life. I don't ever want to give without having expectation that there's a blessing and favour coming. Because I'm attaching my faith to what I sow. I'm not purely just doing it to get, but every time I give, I understand God's Word, that He always speaks of sowing and reaping. So I'm sowing, believing to receive in my life. I'm thankful I get to give to the cause and the kingdom or whatever it might be, but I'm also attaching faith that it's coming back to me. Pressed down, shaken together and running over. And just in case you get upset, from a religious point of view about that, let me tell you this. God gave to get. It's called John 3.16. For God so loved, so he was motivated by love. He, he, he so loved the world that he what? He gave his one and only begotten son. Why? So that whoever would believe in him would have everlasting life. God did not sow his best in Jesus and say, well, I don't really care if I get something back or not. I just wanted to be generous. No, no, no. He's the one that created the system. He said, I'm going to sow my absolute best. And every time another person gives their life to Jesus, I'm reaping from that seed that I sow. I just got another daughter. I just got another son. There's one from Ethiopia. There's one from Botswana. There's one from America. And it's because he sowed and now he reaps. <coughs> you know, Matthew, just to save time, in Matthew, I had the scriptures there. You could check it out later. But in Matthew chapter 6, there's three things that Jesus talks about. And he says this. He says, when you pray, do it in the right manner. Behind closed doors, so no one sees. And the Father who is in heaven will see what you've done and he will what? He will reward you. It says when you fast, same thing. Put oil on your face, do it in the right manner. It's not about look how good I am. And if you do it like that, what will happen? Your Father will see it in secret and again, he will reward you. And then it says exactly the same for when you give. Now, why does the church have a problem with you would never ever pray and not expect something in return? You would never fast. I'm not starving myself like just to fast. If I'm fasting, I'm expecting something in return, right? But somehow the devil's convinced people that it's okay to pray and expect something. It's okay to fast and expect something. But don't you dare give and expect something. But Jesus put the three things together because it's a weapon that God has put in your hand so that you can go to a whole nother level. You know, the, the, the thing of, uh, I'm getting ready to, to, to close, but the, 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 I just got one quick point after this, but it's a really quick one. But the, the thing, when we moved to America four years ago, it was a massive step of faith. And, and, and you know, we were booked all around the world a year in advance from Australia. God says, go to America where no one knows who you are. And it was a big step of faith. And, and we went and, and kind of went along. And we're a couple years in. And, and, you know, we, we, we only had one car. We lived in a smaller apartment. It was a big sacrifice, but we just felt the call of God. And it was amazing because we were coming back uh, from Australia. We'd come here for a little vacation. We're going back to America. And we get to America, and these, these, this couple that we love, they asked us to come to their house. And we're wondering why we need to go there. They're pretty insistent. We get there. And they open their garage door and there's a brand new uh, car. It's a Toyota Highlander. What, what do they call it here? 
Kruger, I think. And so it's brand new and it's worth about like 38,000 US dollars. And they said, this is your car. We got home that night and I was jet lagged because we came straight from the airport and I wake up and I see my wife's got a prayer wall and there's a picture of the exact car that's been there for a year. And now that car's in my driveway. And so, but there's always a backstory to the story because that was July a couple years ago. A few months before that, I was in a church and I just started believing because I was part of this church called Awaken that's a really big spirited, generous, honoring faith church. And, and so faith started to get into me and I, was, I just started praying. I said, God, I'm going to believe for $10,000. I'm just going to believe that someone's going to give me $10,000. And then I said it, and I remember I was at this church in the front row and, and I said it and I felt the Holy Spirit say, but you've never sown in tents. And I was like, no, 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 that's the devil. I'm just asking God to give me 10. Don't you hate when God flips the whole thing on you? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, and so because I'm a man, I'm a little stubborn, right? Any other? No, anyway. Uh, and so, yeah, I got a few friends. Uh, a lot of ladies putting their hands up. I know one. Yeah, anyway. Uh, so, and so each week keeps going on, and, and I keep believing God. I'm going to believe for 10 grand. And every time I believe it, this little voice says, but you've never sown in tens. You've sown lots in ones, in thousands, and you've reaped lots in thousands. And so right before we were about to go back to America and get given the car, two days before we knew we were going back to our church's big vision building miracle offering. And I said to Jackie, listen, for three months, because I didn't tell her, I said, for three months, I felt like we're meant to give 10,000 US dollars in one hit. And, 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 and at that point, it was all we had left of everything that we went to America with. But I just felt like I had to be one hit. We've never done it. And she's like, I was kind of hoping that she'd say, no, I don't feel it, right? Because then I could say, God, see, it was the woman again. You know, it was Eve. Anyway, you know, I was the spiritual one that wanted to do it. But she says, yeah, no, I feel that too. I'm like, oh, all right. And so, so isn't that amazing? Before we'd even sowed the 10,000, there was a car waiting for us worth about 36,000, I think it was. Then the amazing thing, two months after that, God gives us an idea, and I don't have time to talk about it, for this thing called Freedom Experience that has literally seen hundreds of people get free of anxiety, depression. It's an online course. You can check it out, afreedomexperience.com, but I'm not going to say more than that just for time's sake. But, but that's also been a financial blessing to my life. But before we created it, a freedom experience, we needed money to get it started with the website and, and you know, all the things that, so we can do it well and do the course well. Uh, just, I see some people write it down. If you actually sign up and use the code BLESSED, you actually get 30 days for free, okay? So that saves you $50. So if you want to do that. Uh, but but so, so we're believing for that. And then I have a business guy ring me about four months after we sold the 10,000. We got given the car and he rings me up from New York and he says, hey, I know about your freedom experience thing. I really want to partner with it and I want to give you some money. I want to give you $30,000, US dollars. And then he asked me permission. He says, but is it okay if I just give you 10,000 now, 10,000 next month, and 10,000 the month after? I don't know if we're reaping in tens. What do you think? Like, and then the amazing thing about three months later, which was almost about a year from the day where I first started asking God for 10,000, I was in a church and someone gave me $10,000. Since that moment, we've done it another two, three times, and I've seen it come back to me many more times than that. And what I just simply want to say is, the point number two is it's a weapon. See, the devil doesn't want you to tap into the weapon that giving is. It's not just about sowing, it's about adding faith. See, like I said, the devil's okay with you sowing but not reaping. See, when you understand sowing and reaping, it's like this. If I get a tennis ball and I throw it in the air, 
And, and what do I do if, say, this was a higher roof and I threw it right up in the air? What would I do? I'd get ready to catch it. Why? Because I understand the law of gravity. The law of gravity tells me that the tennis ball is coming back down and I should get ready to catch it. When you understand the law of sowing and reaping, you attach faith and it took faith for us to sow, but then people miss it because it's not finished there. Then it takes faith that I get position. I don't know how it's coming. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know where it's coming from. Is it an idea for another business? Is it someone in here? I don't know what it is, but I'm ready because I understand sowing is a weapon. And then the last thing, a real quick one. Again, another story. It's not a miracle, but this one is also recorded in, in all four Gospels. And my last point is it's... Sowing and reaping, it's God's way. But number two, it's, it's, a, it's a weapon. But then number three, it's a form of worship. And one of the other stories that's recorded in all four is remember when, and we won't go there, I had it on the screen, but just for time's sake, remember when the, the lady came with a year's uh, a perfume that was so expensive it was worth, and I Googled it today, it was 300 denarii, which represents about 100,000 US dollars. And, and people say a year's wages, which is probably more than the average for most people. And, and she comes in, and it's in all four Gospels, and she bre- it's extravagant. She breaks this perfume for the simple fact of anointing Jesus for burial. And you know what? This is really important because you know who got upset in that moment? It was Judas. And we always have to watch in our humanity when we get upset about extravagant giving because it's that same spirit. See, here's the thing. Many churches, they won't even talk about money. But you know, people have been getting upset about offerings since the very first family. Cain killed Abel over an offering. It's not a new thing. And if I was the devil, what would be the one thing that I don't want the church to talk about? Money. Because one, it's God's way of how people get blessed and the church gets blessed. It's a weapon that people can use to take their business and their finances to a whole other level. And it's a beautiful form of worship. Because when this lady broke the perfume, you know what it says? It says there was a fragrance that filled the whole room. See, when a believer offers up their treasure, I believe it's the highest form of worship that you can have. Because think about this. When you give, you give of your time, your talents, and your treasure. They're the three things that we give at different times. You can give your time without giving your talent or your treasure. Maybe you help at church or, or just help a brother out and it's a kind of mundane, mundane task where you're helping them to load a truck or whatever. It's not really your talent. It didn't cost you treasure. It was on a Saturday. You had the day off, so you gave your time. Time alone. When you give your talent, you can give your talent that you're gifting the special, unique thing about you that you bring. But while you give your talent, you can't give your talent without also giving your time. Because the moment when I'm giving of my talent, it also takes my time. But you can't give your treasure 
without it also representing your talent and your time. Because when I bring that treasure, that's why it's the ultimate act of worship. What, what I'm saying when I bring that 10% or I give over and above or extravagant or whatever it is, when I give it, it's representing I had to use my talents, which took my time to acquire this treasure. And I want to sow it because it's an act of worship. And if I was the devil, I tell you, the one thing that I would attack in the church is giving. Because he hates that it's an extravagant act of worship that represents the king. The reality is vision costs money. If I was the devil, I'd want to keep every church on the planet broke. I'd want to keep every Christian broke. Because simply if there's no finance, then vision can't come to pass. I want to pray for you. And just quickly, I know we've got people online and you know, I wonder if you're here today, and I know this has been a different kind of message. It's something I'm passionate about because I've lived it and I've seen the blessing. You've got to know it's not about what God wants to get from you. It's about what God wants to get to you. And so it's a different kind of message, but I want to speak to maybe you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus. And right now, I just want to just take a quick moment like I did 21 years ago where I first surrendered my life to Jesus. And and let me tell you, he did the most extravagant act of generosity before we did anything. He, he, he's not asking us, just like me standing here, I'm not asking you to do something that I haven't lived my whole life. But even more so with Jesus, he's not asking you to do something that he didn't do way more than what we could ever do. He said, hey, I'll put my whole life on the cross and I'll pay the ultimate price of my life. At 33 years old, I'll pay the price. I'll, I'll pick up the check. Let me get the bill that you could never pay. The Bible says because of our sin that we'll be separated from God for all of an eternity. But, but God was so motivated by love that He said, no, 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 let me come and pick up the check. That check's going to cost me nails in my hands and my feet. I'm going to die a brutal death. I'll be tortured, but it's worth it because I want to pick up the check check so that you could receive the free gift of relationship with God, the free gift of righteousness, the free gift of salvation with a loving God that will love you for all of an eternity. And I wonder if you're here today, maybe you're online and you've never ever surrendered your life to Jesus. Or, or maybe you have, but for whatever reason, you've fallen away from God. And today's the day that you say, you know what, I'm surrendering my life back to Jesus. I feel like there's some people that need to do this. And I want to ask every single person to bow their heads and Close your eyes just for a moment. I'm not going to get you to come out the front. And if you're online, you can, I don't know if there's a button you can click or there's some way that you can respond. I'm sure there is. But with every eye closed and every bowed, and I'm simply going to count to three. And I feel like, I just feel like there is. And, and maybe even it's been an attitude in your heart where you just know that you've kind of just started to get a bad attitude. And, and today you're saying, you know what? I'm surrendering it back to God. I'm giving my life back to God. And if that's you right now, with every eye closed, every head bowed, when I get to three, I'll get you to lift your hand. You put it back down. I'm not going to bring you out the front, but I'll include you in the prayer I'm about to pray. Every eye closed, every head bowed. One, friend, I tell you, He loved you more than you've ever dreamed or imagined. Two, it doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been or who you are, you're God's precious son or precious daughter. Three, all over this place. Come on, if that's you, lift your hand. Yeah, I see your hand. I see your hand there. I see your hand there. I see your hand there. I see your hand over there as well. It's five people already. So good. 
So good. Just getting right with God. Just just one more time. Just with every eye closed, put your hand up nice and high because I don't want to miss one person. Yeah, so proud of you, sir. So proud of you down the front there. So proud of you there. So proud of you there. Guy at the back there. So awesome. About five or six people. Awesome. You can put your hands down. Everyone lift your eyes to, to, to me. I'm, I'm going to jump off and Pastor Ed's going to come now. But just for those six or so people, I want to lead you in a simple prayer. But as a church family, we're not going to leave you out there by yourself. We're going to pray with you. But you in your heart, you just mean this, that this is the day that you are surrendering all of yourself to Him. You watch what He'll do with your life. Come on, let's all pray together. But if you're one of the six, you mean this with all your heart. Say, Dear Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sin. Today, I say sorry for everything that I've done wrong. And I thank you that you forgive me. Today, I invite you into my heart and I surrender my life to you. Help me to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen, 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 amen.
Thank you for listening to the City Church Podcast. If you enjoyed this message or God worked through you in any way, then please take a moment to contact us through our website at city-church.net or email us your feedback at info at city-church.net.